Today, I would like to have you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, or in other translations, children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. I've been thinking a lot and pondering about the peace of God that comes to us through justification. And then the Lord brought this word so strongly to my heart. But there's another blessing I want to give to you. Have you received this blessing? The peacemakers. If God were to proclaim something over your life, one blessing over your life, to establish the fact that you're his child, would it be this truth? You're my son. You're my daughter. Because you have this blessing, you're a peacemaker. God proclaiming, you are a peacemaker. You're my son. You're my daughter. You've received this blessing. In the last few weeks, honestly, in the last few months, I think I've been wrestling a bit with this as I searched my own heart and realized perhaps this blessing needs to grow in my life. And I need to receive a greater blessing from my Father in heaven of this being a peacemaker. Uh, we had Reese and Lisa and their family over to our house the other night, uh, last Sunday night, I think it was. And I was expressing to them my frustration with our dog the, the week before last week. I was ready to sell that thing. Just done with him. He was became so bitey. Bosker, yep. Just every time I tried to take him for a walk, he was rambunctious and jumping up at me and just trying to bite me. And I thought we had him trained better than that. I told Katie and the boys, done with him. He's your dog. You can't take care of him. He's out. <laughs> and the Lord said to me, blessed are the peacemakers. And he gave me this word. For real. He gave me this word in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10. A righteous man has regard for the life of his beast. (laughs) But the compassion of the wicked is cruel. The Lord said, would your dog call you wicked or a peacemaker right now? I'll be a peacemaker. So I made peace with the dog. I'll tell you, my week went a lot better. He is now. <laughs> Even our animals know whether we're righteous or not. <laughs> Peace. This blessing is, I'm seeing it more clearly than ever in my life, is not an option for me. If I miss this blessing that Jesus 
has said declares me a child of God. I'm going to miss a character of Jesus Christ that is going to greatly quench the Holy Spirit in my life. And it's like putting a bushel over the candlestick. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Men don't light a candle and put a bushel over it. Or put it underneath a bed. They put it on a candlestick and it gives light to the house. And if I think it's just, if I think towards being this blessedness of being a peacemaker in my life, is kind of this thing of, hey, if it works out, it's all right. If it doesn't, no big deal. The Holy Spirit will be quenched in my life. And we have a clear word, quench not the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, he tells us this word. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. You may turn your Bibles to look at this word with me. It's a very important word. Pursue peace with all men. Some men, those you like better than others. Is that what he says? No. All men. Every person that comes into your life, your attitude, my attitude should be, I'm going to pursue peace with them. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. Now, I don't know if you've ever connected those two, but that peace that I'm pursuing with you, my brother and sister, will bring, will sanctify my life. It will take the life of Jesus Christ and cause it to grow within me. When I pursue peace with all men, sanctification happens. And we've talked about justification. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have been, what? Justified, Romans 5 tells us. Having been justified, we have peace with God. That's this peace with God. But that peace, for that peace to grow and flow out of me, it will have to sanctify my life. It would have to make me cleaner. That's the word sanctification. It simply means it cleans you up. Now I've realized this is a way of sanctification in my life is to pursue peace with others cleans up my own life. It cleans up my act. It cleans up my attitude. It cleans up my thought life. It cleans up my relationships. It's a means of sanctification in my life. When peace is not just a byproduct of my life, it's the pursuit of my life. I see you and I think, I'm going to pursue peace with this man. I'm going to pursue peace with this woman. I'm going to pursue peace with this brother or this sister or this neighbor or co-worker. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. How optional is that for you? Does that sound like peace should just be on the back burner somewhere in your life and you have all these other goals in your life, but peace, well, sure, you know, yeah, I should add that to my life. The way I'm reading this, pursue peace and the sanctification without which you won't see God. That doesn't sound very optional to me. And the one goal of my life is to see God, to see the Lord. I don't know about you, but 
Since I've been born again, that has become the one goal of my life. And I think if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that's your goal as well. Perhaps you've gotten a little distracted along the way, but really the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we want to see the Lord. That's the goal of my life. Whether it's in glimpses today, the Holy Spirit revealing the Lord Jesus to us through his spirit, or whether it's seeing the Lord as he tells us in 1 John chapter 3, when we see him, will be like him, but we shall see him as he is. And what does every man do that has this hope in himself? Purifies. Purifies himself, even as he is pure. Can't disconnect it, brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit won't let you, because the word of God has connected it. And the word of the Lord will abide forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will not. In Romans chapter 3, He tells us our own condition before the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Look at Romans chapter 3 with me. In Romans chapter 3, he describes us as unrighteous. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. Verse 11, there is none who seeks for God. And the result, verse 17, and the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. That's the world we live in. Without the Holy Spirit, that's you and me. That's the unrighteous, wretched sinner that I am without Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit comes, Ephesians 2. You who were dead in sins and in trespasses, he has made alive, risen up in your spirit and made him alive to God. And what happens? We become pursuers of peace. First, he reconciles us back to God. Peace happens, justification. We've been declared righteous. Here, we're unrighteous. And we do not know peace. And the moment we're declared righteous, what happens to us? We have peace with God. Right? Immediately, you have peace with God. It's one of the first things the Holy Spirit gives to you and I when he declares us righteous, born of his spirit, made alive to God. We have peace. All of this way of peace with God we have not known until now. In a moment, peace. God is at peace with me. And that gives me peace in return with him. And my conscience knows it. My soul knows it. And all of the apprehensions and fears that my soul had towards God come to rest. And my spirit sings for joy, rests in his love. There's peace. And the path of peace have they not known. My mind goes to the word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old things have passed away. The old ways of not having peace are passed away. Behold, new things have come, the way of peace. Now all these things were from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. First God reconciles us to himself. And now he says, now I'm giving you this ministry, the ministry of peace maker. Have you received that blessedness from your father in heaven? Have you understood that Jesus is, has reconciled you to God, not just to give you peace with him, but to, do, to give you a job, a work to do? Be a peacemaker. Be a reconciler. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us. Here's where it begins. And he commits to us the word of reconciliation. It begins in our speech. Words of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, what's an ambassador? Can someone know? Someone tell me what an ambassador for a country does. Represents the country. How does he represent the country? In the best possible way, Josh? By promoting, By promoting the country with who? The foreign country where he's living in. That's right. By moving to a foreign country, living in that foreign country. And what is his, in representing, in representing the country, his home country, what is his main goal? Like, what is his ministry? To push forward the ideas or the agendas of the country that he's from. Okay. He's not there to make war. He's not a spy. He's there to establish peace between the two countries. He's there to represent, yes, the ideals or ambitions of the country whom he represents, but it's to do so in a peaceful way. He's not a general of the army. He's a citizen of the country sent to represent that country. Have you considered that we, you, Jesus is saying, I've reconciled you to me, declared you a citizen of a heavenly country, and now I leave you on the earth for this one mission. You're an ambassador of heaven on the earth. To do what? What kind of ministry has he given you? To do the ministry that Jesus hasn't finished on the earth. Jesus didn't finish the ministry, his ministry on the earth when he died. He finished it. The salvation ministry was complete in himself. Men now could come to God through Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus declared. It is finished on the cross. The work of salvation that you and I could put our faith in and be saved. The moment we believe was finished. But his ministry of reconciling men back to God wasn't finished. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to the earth as recorded to us in Acts chapter 2. And what did it do? It brought the same message 
of reconciliation to the people that Jesus came to do. And when they declared Jesus' birth, when he first came to the earth, how did the angels proclaim it? What had just happened? What was the proclamation of the gospel through the angels? Peace. To the shepherds, yes. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. God has come to declare peace with you. That's still our message, dear brother, sister. We now are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's our message. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That you, we, might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what we're proclaiming. And that's the ministry God has given to us. If we put that on the back burner and do it in our part-time, as a part-time laborer or in our spare time, do you think the world will really truly get the gospel preached through your life? Do you think the Holy Spirit will come and fill you with his fullness and just stay within you and sanctify you just to himself? No, you can't disconnect it. The Holy Spirit has not come just to put his life within me and take me home to heaven. He's come for a much greater purpose than that. He's come to make me an ambassador of Jesus Christ to the world. And it's much bigger than me. It's as big as God. And that's why the church of Jesus Christ is so powerful today. It has invaded or is invading every country on the earth. It doesn't matter what form of government is there. The Holy Spirit has one intent. That the gospel is preached to all nations and all places over the world. And he's doing it. He's at work doing it. And he wants to do it through you and me. And through all of his children. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called children of God. Jesus said in John chapter 14. Let's look at what kind of peace he's declaring to us. In John 14, Jesus said, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So what kind of peace is Jesus giving what kind of peace is Jesus wanting us to make with people? Blessed are the peacemakers. What kind of peace? What does this look like? Jesus said, it's not like the world gives you. It's another kind of peace. Maybe that's where we get confused and discouraged. Because when we think of peace, we think of it in a physical dimension. Like the world gives and tries to establish. And so we as Christians... Take the Holy Spirit and his truth and we try to minister it, become ambassadors from heaven to the world with the world's way. It doesn't work. It leaves us discouraged and leaves the world confused. 
I have some photos. Very interestingly. You should do this sometime. Just sit down at your computer and Google um, pictures of peace or photos of peace. It's amazing what you come up with. This is one of them. Maybe you think that's peace for yourself. Is that a peaceful thing to do? Those men who love to fish. Get me out of the world. Get me out of my intense situation. A little later, Luki. Um, remind me. I'll come back to you. Um, you know, my home's in chaos. My wife is mad. Give me the fishing rod. My children are crazy. Oh, work is awful. Let's just get out early and give me a fishing rod. Just me and the fish. Could be. A lot of men seek peace that way. Don't they? Next one. Maybe it's how the Buddhists go about seeking peace. Or the monks. Meditation. Step out of your busy life. Quiet time, they call it. Quiet time. Meditation to the point where it transcends you out of your physical problems. The world is seeking after that as well. Next one. Maybe it's that. I knew you'd like that, Josh. World peace. Two countries who have been at war with each other, what, for 70 years, something like that? Perhaps kind of a cold war, but certainly not, you know, peaceful. Finally, we shake hands. Next one. Maybe it's that. Maybe for you ladies, it's just give me a, the ocean and the beach and a book. It's quietness. Distraction. Next one. Oh, that looks very peaceful, doesn't it to you? Just out there by the lake, in a boat, you and nature. Next one. Maybe it's you just taking a walk out by the lake. Quiet, peaceful, relaxful night. Or maybe it's an early dawn. Next one. Peace. Just a sign of peace. Next one. That's it. There's one common way or theme about all these photos. And there's many more, by the way. You should actually take time just to Google it. Not right now on your phones, but maybe later. There's one common theme. Can you tell me what it is? Have you picked it up? Yes, Stephen. Nature? You're alone? Me? Looking for something more general. Quiet? Hmm? Home? Solitude? Okay, this word fits all of that. Peaceful? You're really hot, meaning you're close. Peace on the outside. (laughs) 
Okay, let me clarify. I meant you. We're almost there. Cir yeah. Circumstantial is the word I'm thinking of. All of these photos of peace involved your circumstances changing. Your world changing for you. Leaving the busyness of life and going for the fishing pole or for the boat by the lake or maybe the ocean and reading a book or meditation in a quiet room all by yourself. It's all circumstances changed, right? Is that how you're getting peace? Is that your pursuit of peace there, brother, sister? Here's where I got confused too many times in my life and where I actually quenched the Holy Spirit in my life because I went after circumstantial change. Maybe it's in a relationship and I say, I've got to go pursue this relationship because I'm a peacemaker. And what I tried to do was go and make peace with this person by convincing them that, you know, they're wrong. Let's just come to agreement. Maybe it's this kind of, you know, handshake agreement. Let's make peace. But Jesus said, the peace that I give you is not like the world gives you. So what kind of peace, Jesus, are you talking about? He begins by pointing it out. Let not your what be troubled. Your circumstance, your life, your And that's what he says to us in uh, in First Peter. No, in Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter twelve. That's the word I was thinking of. Look at this word. If verse eighteen, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Where is the peace? As much as lies, I like how the King James says it. As much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. The peace is on the inside, not the outside. That's where the tranquility is happening. It's a peace of the heart, not a peace of the circumstance. And I want you to notice where this word is Placed strategically by the Holy Spirit in its context. Look at it. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Bless and be at peace. As much as lies within you, someone is persecuting you, be at peace in your heart. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimations. Now look, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. But do what? As much as lies within you, your heart should be at rest. Peace in your heart. While someone is doing you evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Verse 19, never take your own revenge. But do what? Change the circumstance? 
Try to have a handshake? No. Starts in the heart. Be at peace as much as lies within you. Let the peace of God, Colossians 3 says, rule, govern your heart. And this is what will happen. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Very peaceful thing to do, don't you think? Heaping burning coals on someone's head. Because you're at peace. You see, the more that I've studied Jesus' peace and the peace of God, the more I've realized I've been, I've been thinking wrong in too many ways, in too many area, areas. My attitude towards peace was one, a humanistic view, just like the world is trying to give to everybody. The world wants to make peace with everyone in this way. Let's all just link arms and sing Kumbaya and we can all agree to disagree. That's peace. And yet their hearts are full of turmoil. It's a false peace. It's not the peace of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to notice is that the peace of God being within us is a peace that on the outside you don't see. It's not a piece of circumstances at all. It's not a piece of relationships at all. Look at this word with me. Now remember, we just read in John 14, Jesus said, My peace I give to you. But, look at this word in... I wrote it down. Yes, I didn't. Can someone help me find the word where Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace on the earth. Is it in, uh, you know that word? I think it's really good for us to look at it because in its context, Someone Google for me real quick. Where Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace on the earth. Matthew 10. Yes, Matthew 10. That's the one I wanted. And there's probably some in the other gospels as well. Now I want you to look at the context starting in verse 24. He's speaking of discipleship. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. In verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body or are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Number 30, verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are more value than many sparrows. Number um Verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What kind of a sword? And what kind of peace is Jesus not wanting to do on the earth through you and me? For I came to set a man against his father. Wait, what? 
I thought I'm supposed to have a good relationship with my father. And a daughter against her mother. Wait, you're, you're disrupting home life here, Jesus. This can't be right. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Your very household will be my enemies? Wait, Jesus, we're all for peace here. Blessed are the peacemakers. In my home especially, doesn't it have to start there? I want you to notice the context in which he's saying this. Back up. Verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying that the confession of his name will bring division in our very most Personal, intimate relationships on the earth, all biological relationships must be divided in the name of Jesus. You must be willing to confess his name. If you try to go for world peace in your home by quenching the Holy Spirit in your life, you'll have world peace, but you will not have the peace of God. In your heart, nor in your home. So what are you striving for, parents, husband and wife in your relationships? Are you okay with outside circumstantial peace in your home? Husband and wife, when you're having a struggle, how do you go about resolving, reconciling, and bringing peace? You go fishing. You go for a walk. You go for a book. You go for circumstantial change? Is that the first means in which you try to reconcile and come to peace? A means of peace, circumstantial. See, this is where I was getting a little confused because I found myself thinking that way. Oh, this is a circumstance in which we disagree and we're having a little bit of a intention is in the air and okay, change the circumstance, drop it all, change the circumstance. How about we have a date night? How about this? Just light the candles, put on some soft music, and change the circumstance. That's a mere distraction, dear brother, sister, and it's not the peace of God. And it never will bring the peace of God, the ministry of Jesus Christ that reconciles us back to God. It'll only change your circumstance, and so it's as it's as temporary. As your circumstance changes. But it will come like a snake in the grass. To bite you. Later on. Because nothing really changed. On the inside. The peace of God. Has not entered the heart of man. And brought it to rest. On that subject. On that issue. Unless that happens. You're striving for peace in your home. In your marriage. Just like the world. And Jesus said, I won't give you my peace that way. It's not the peace of Jesus. It's the peace of the world. Maybe that's why our homes sometimes, our marriages sometimes, in the church, are so frail, break off so easy. Or the devil can just come in and disturb so quickly and bring a lot of unrest. Because we're going about 
trying to establish our own peace in the world's way. Just like in Romans 10, Paul said, real salvation, the Jews couldn't grasp it. Why not? Because he says, they went about to establish their own righteousness with zeal. But it wasn't the righteousness of God. And then Jesus says this in verse 37. Here's his piece. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of my peace. If you go about trying to establish a human temporary peace in your marriage relationship or with your children or in the church or in your workplace or anywhere in your circumstance by changing either circumstances and things and think that will bring peace or by you know, handshake, hugs, outward, some kind of outward circumstantial peace. Jesus said, you're not worthy of my peace. I won't give it. I will not give you my peace the way the world gives you peace. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. You think you found peace that way? Guess what? You're going to lose it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. The peace of God comes to us this way. And it begins, I realize, in a way that 1 Peter 3, again, in the context of outward turmoil. First Peter 3, verse 8. To sum it all up. And he's speaking of marriages in the whole chapter here. It's in the context of our marriage relationships. To sum it up. That means this is it. There's no more. To sum it up. Let all be harmonious. Sympathetic. Brotherly. Kind-hearted. Humble in spirit. Do you see what he's talking to? He's talking to my inner man. Harmonious. My goal is to come in harmony, not just make peace. There's a big difference. Harmony is found in diversity, right? Those of you who are Anthony, you're a choir director. Real harmony is found in having the bass sing good bass and the tenor sing their, their part and the soprano and the alto and the baritone. And they don't try to all sing on the same note in the same key with the same octave or they all doing the different parts, but in harmony. This is the peace of Jesus Christ. Unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, he calls it. See how it deals with the inner man? Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit the blessing. What is the blessing? Here it is. For, verse 10, let him who means to love life and see good days, refrain his tongue from evil and his lips speaking guile or deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. 
Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. How are you pursuing peace? What, what instruction do you get from this word when people are speaking evil of you and there's a lot of turmoil and unrest and your command is seek peace and pursue it. How are you doing it, dear brother, sister? What does he say? Who's fighting for you on what behalf? It's the Lord. Look what he says. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ear is open to their prayers. And I've noticed, ah, here's where the change begins. Not circumstantial. How do I bring this peace into my heart in the midst of unrestful circumstances? Instead of taking my tongue and speaking to you, whether it's in trying to make peace in speaking to you, or whether it's in speaking, as he says here, evil for evil, I take my tongue and I speak to God. Prayers. That's where it begins. That's where it begins, brother, sister. That's where real inner peace in every conflict must begin. Me being reconciled back to God and the Lord's ears open to my prayers. That will bring me peace. As much as lies within me, I will be at rest. First Peter chapter 3. Verse 11 and 12. I thought of a few examples of this. One of them is in Luke chapter 10. I've always marveled at this scripture, but I've never quite seen it like I've seen it this week, how the Lord has shown it to me. Verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home when she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word and seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Maybe it was Christmas was coming up. This was Jesus was coming into the house. Now I want you to put you, don't get too hard on Martha, right? Jesus is coming to your house. What would you be doing? The house is a mess. We've, lived, we've been living life. Toys are everywhere in the basement and upstairs and, and the dog house isn't clean. And I, but Jesus is coming to my house. What am I going to be doing? I think I'm going to be doing some preparations, don't you? And Martha's excited. This is the Lord. He's coming to my house. He doesn't go to everybody's house. Very few houses have actually hosted Jesus from what we can read. No wonder Martha was excited. And Mary, she seemed like she could care less. Mary, Mary. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work, to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. Boy, how many of you guys ever been there? Whether it was in your home, work, church, 
Maybe you don't say it quite like Martha. But your heart is saying it. Your heart is just as disturbed as Martha's. Perhaps you've had a little more sanctification than she's had in your pursuit of peace. So you won't actually bubble it out to anybody. But boy, Lord, I sure hope they help me. Tell them, Lord. That's your prayer. Tell them, Lord, to help me. Don't you care? I'm here all by myself doing this. What does Jesus say? Verse 41, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and you're bothered about so many things. I've noticed that these two go together in my life. When I get worried, anxious about preparations or something in my life, I always get bothered by other people. You ever notice that in your life? I'm anxious about it. I'm, I'm excited. I'm stressed out. And I always get bothered by those around me. Do you? Jesus is speaking into that heart of yours and mine. The worried and bothered heart. But only a few things are necessary. You're worried and you're bothered about a lot of things in your life. Okay. But there's only a few that are necessary. Really, there's only one. And Mary has chosen that good one part, which shall not be taken away from her. What was it? What was the one really only necessary good thing that Jesus said we must have? It's necessary for us. In the midst of busy life. Did you get it? Did you? Do you have it? Did Jesus give this to you? Mary got it. And Jesus said, I'm not taking it away from her. It was his peace. What was she doing? Sitting at his feet. Oh yeah, it was the whole calm thing. Meditation or whatever. No, it wasn't. It was quietness. But she was doing what? Listening. And I realized that Jesus wants to give me this heart. The posture of my heart in the midst of my whole life. No matter what my day looks like or the circumstances. Whether I'm fishing or whether I'm in the busyness and the craziness of life. The posture of my heart needs to be listening to his word. That's why he says in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That peace he wants to give to you and I. The second picture, you guys know this story well, is in Luke chapter 8. Where Jesus and the disciples are on the boat in the midst of the sea. Verse 22 through verse 25. And you know the storm is there and the waters are. I mean these guys are sinking for real. Uh, sometimes we, we read these stories and we kind of think the disciples were a little crazy. A little you know perhaps 
I don't know, what's the right word? Um, they just weren't very mature. You know, they were, of course, of course they were scared and the water's, you know, it's a stormy sea. But wait, put yourself in their circumstance. You're out there in the middle of this sea and the sea is, the waves are taking you up and down and the wind is blowing and you don't have a motor on your boat. You have the sails. And it tells us that the fierce, the gale was fierce in verse 23. The wind descended upon the lake and they were beginning to be swamped. Water was coming in the boat. And the disciples knew they were drowning. Where was Jesus? They weren't alone. He was in the boat. What was he doing? Someone tell me. Sleeping. Sleeping. Did Jesus care that they were drowning? What would you think? If Jesus is sleeping in your life and you're drowning for real, the water is coming, the storm is blowing. Would you say, Jesus, thank you for caring for me. I know you love me. Is that what you would say? Then you have a lot of faith. But if you have just a little bit of faith, like they did, you'll panic just like they panicked and say, Jesus, don't you even care about me? And Jesus gets up and he gives them the secret to inner peace. He says, rebuke the wind. He changed their circumstance immediately. And then he looks at them and says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Is it in your circumstances or in a sleeping Jesus? Yeah, good word, Tiffy. We'll leave it right there. That was perfect. Your faith is in a sleeping Jesus in your life. You remember the story of Saul? King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Just remind you of this one. And I've seen myself too often in this one. This is the story Saul just became king. He was still finding his way. His kingdom wasn't established very well. And the Philistines came to war. And I want to note some things here for you. Uh, in chapter 14, we read down through here that they were at war. And... Um, let me back up a little bit. It's actually in chapter 13. In chapter 13, verse 5. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. 6,000 horsemen. Can someone do the math? How many people do we have? 36,000. And these were horsemen. People on horses and chariots. But there's more. There's a lot of soldiers yet. And people like the sand which is by the seashore. Wait, what? Have you ever seen an army that big? How many sands are by the seashore? Have you ever tried to count them? Children? That's how many people were coming against Israel. And they had one thing in mind. Kill them all. We're going to kill them. Now I want you to put yourself, you're the Israelite. How many people are with you 
and Saul. Yep. 3,000. 3,000. Now that seems like a lot of people. But when you compare them with what's coming at you, there's 10, what, 10 times as many just horse and chariots. 36,000 and a multitude of soldiers. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of Bethaven. And when the men of Israel saw this, they were in a strait, for the people were hard pressed. Guess what they did? Ran for their lives. Then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and in cellars and in pits. I mean, they ran for their lives. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. And now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. He said, wait seven days for me. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal in seven days. And the people were scattering from him. So what was Saul going to do? Everybody was running for their lives. Yes, Luke. That's right. Samuel said, wait. Saul's panicking. When you panic, I would say this circumstance is definitely a circumstance to panic. And Samuel doesn't keep his word. He's late. God shows up late in your life. You knew you heard a promise. He gave it to you in his word. And he's late. He's not showing up. And everything is being scattered in your life. You're completely lost control. You're sure you're going to die. There were only 600 people left with Saul. So Samuel... Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came about as he finished offering the burnt offering. (gasps) Guess who shows up? Samuel. Oops. Samuel, I thought you, it was eight days and you weren't coming. And look what's going on. You understand, right, God? I know you will. Did he? What did God do? Here's what he did. Samuel said, what have you done? Verse 11. And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me and that you didn't come with the appointed days and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Well, Saul, you acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom. And what the Lord has said to me is these moments of test filled is when I want to establish my kingdom of peace in your heart. It becomes fortified. Your heart becomes strong. Your inner man develops the strength of the peace of God where it begins to rule in your heart. And he tests it just like this. So now what will the Lord do? But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. The Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people because you have not kept what I commanded you. 
you know who won this battle, by the way, then? You know who, you know who won this battle? Read on sometime. It's a really interesting story. You know how many people won this battle? The multitude of 36,000 horsemen and chariots and a multitude of men. How many? Two people. Jonathan and his armor bearer won the battle. Crazy, isn't it? Jonathan and his armor bearer snuck up on the back way of this huge military assembly. Fought a few guys, killed 20 of them. With, and Jonathan and his armor bearer had one sword, and it says they used sticks. And he killed 20 people, and all of a sudden the whole army started just quaking and shaking and running for their lives. Can you imagine a million people, maybe, running for their lives from two guys? Wow. I... I hope, dear brothers and sisters, this is the faith that is bringing you the peace of Jesus. The peace of God ruling in your heart and mind, establishing his kingdom in your life. A kingdom of peace in your home, at your workplace, comes to us through faith, not through the means of the world. Don't chase after it, my dear brother and sister. It's temporary. It will leave you dried up. It will leave you with a false peace that you'll pursue all your life. And the moment you die, you'll realize it was just the world's peace. It didn't do anything for my inner man to establish the kingdom of Jesus Christ within me. So let's pursue peace in Jesus' way.